Let me take a moment to express my thanks and appreciation for the privilege of returning to Ben Lippin one more time. This is, I think, the best of all the conferences I have attended here when I view it from all directions. And I carry many pleasant memories of many earlier conferences. And we used to have a brand of chewing gum that had for its slogan, the flavor lasts. And that's true of Ben Lippin. I was in Elmhurst, Illinois years ago in a meeting and on the last night, the song leader was making his little farewell speech and expressing his appreciation for this, that, and the other. And it seems that he had had supper on Thursday night before at the home of the organist. And he meant to say that the memory of that meal lingered with him still. But that's not what he said. <laughs> so they had supper at the home of Mrs. So-and-so, and I can still taste it. <laughs> now that's not the way to say it. And yet I have tasted through these years memories of the good food for body and soul at this place. You'll pray for me as I go on my way. I never dreamed that at nearly 77 I'd be this busy, but I don't know how much longer it'll last, but anyway, it's lasting through tonight so far. <laughs> and uh, I'm grateful to God and to all you friends for your friendship. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 4, the first five verses. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing but myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. According to this scripture, our lives and our work are uh, due to face three courts. The court of public opinion. What other people think about it? And that's never sufficient because other people don't know all about our lives and our motives. What's done, we partly may compute, but know not what's resisted. The old line goes. Somebody may make a great mistake once, and you don't know how many times the devil tried to get them to do that before and failed. So we don't know how to judge people. And we are not capable of judging ourselves, the court of private judgment, because we're inclined to be a little bit prejudiced in our own favor. And therefore, we don't arrive at a very sensible conclusion. The only true court is 
the court of God, the supreme court. And I don't mean nine old men in Washington. I mean the supreme court of Almighty God. I'm glad that when the disciples came back from their first evangelistic and missionary trip, they reported to the Lord and not to a committee. To his own master he standeth before us. I always put along with my autograph, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Three words stand out in our text, which is the second verse of this portion. The word, the first word is steward. 1 Peter 4.10 says we are stewards of the manifold grace of God. A steward is a householder. Matthew 13.52, every scribe instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. We're all stewards as Christians. Uh, much has uh, been committed to our trust. First of all, we committed ourselves to his keeping. And then 2 Timothy 1, 12 and 14 tells us that uh, much has been committed to us. The Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord. Self, service, substance. That's the divine order. Whenever you change it, you get in trouble. Uh, vain oblation, as Isaiah called it, is when you put offerings on the collection plate and never put yourself on the plate. Never give yourself to God. The second word in the text is faithful, trustworthy. The word of God places high value on old-fashioned faithfulness. Just check your concordance sometime. God is faithful. Faithful is he that calleth you. The Lord is faithful. He is faithful that promised. Great is thy faithfulness. God expects his people to be faithful. And notice the third word is required. It's not optional. It's not that God suggests that we be faithful. It is required of you, every one of us, that we be faithful. Faithful in wise servants, faithful in a few things, faithful stewards, faithful men, faithful in the least, faithful in the Lord, faithful ministers, and faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit. And it all points to that day when we trust we can hear him say, Well done, thou good and not brilliant, or successful, or famous, but faithful, servant. We read in John 2 that on one occasion many believed in our Lord's name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not believe in them, it really says, because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There's such a thing as having a superficial faith in the Lord, the kind of faith to which he cannot return real faith in us. There's a song, May the Lord Depend on You, and that's a good one. I don't hear it often. Well, that's quite a question. Where much is given, much is, and here's the word again, required. Expected, called for. John wrote to Gaius, Thou doest faithfully, not flashily, not fitfully, but faithfully, whatsoever thou doest. The greatest ability in the world is dependability. Not just ability. A lot of folks have ability and they don't have dependability. There's not much preaching these days about plain old-fashioned faithfulness. Nothing glamorous about it. Nothing Hollywood about it. If a wife murders her husband, that gets in the headlines. 
with faithful wives and mothers who grace their homes with loving service and whose children rise up to call them blessed, they don't get in the papers much. Uh, you have to take a shotgun and kill him before you get much notice from the press. And what a time, what a time we have in churches today trying to keep people faithful, just plain faithful in attendance and loyalty. We reward them, coax them, picnic them, persuade them, tantalize them, almost bribe them to do what they ought to do anyhow because they love God. And if they don't do it because they love God, they don't need to do it anyway. We've tried everything. Banners, seals, diplomas, badges, buttons, hot dogs, potluck suppers, grab bags, necktie sociables, oyster stews, with one lonesome oyster going around and around looking for its companion. <laughs> the only service that God accepts is that which flows from love. I've said to choirs all over this country, if you are not right with God and trying to sing in the choir, you ought to get right or get out. Some of them uh, don't take that quite gracefully, maybe, but that's the size of it. And Jesus uh, said that before you put your money in the collection plate, be reconciled, whoever's at odds with you. The gift without the giver is bare. Literature told us that a long time ago. Christian living calls for faithfulness above everything else. Not everybody can sing, preach, give a thousand dollars. But anybody and everybody in here tonight can be faithful. You didn't sing that third verse of I am resolved to follow the Savior faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth, he's the living way. That's it. That's what it's all about. You see, I've got a subject tonight that covers every situation and everybody in this place. Maybe that's what takes the glamour out of faithfulness. Anybody can do it, but very few people ever do. There's not much of it. Too many folks go up like a rocket and come down like a rock. I like comets that go sizzling across the firmament every once in a while. But God prefers people who serve him daily rather than those who occasionally serve him dazzlingly. Not that. This is a queer time anyhow. We're in the middle of it. The age of goofus and trickery, hocus pocus, freaks, sleight of hand. Now you see it and now you don't. How big, how loud. And the two biggest words today, and I'm about worn out with hearing both of them, is fabulous and fantastic. I don't know what we'd do without fabulous and fantastic today. But a Bible teacher pointed out the other day that they're sorry words because fabulous comes from fable and means it's not true. And fantastic comes from fantasy and means it's not real. So that's a poor word to use, it seems to me, in either case. So we are driven to other words, adjectives, and everything's got to be the biggest thing yet. Huge, gigantic, colossal, super-duper, wonder drugs. Take them and wonder what's going to happen next. <laughs> and it's hard to interest people in old-fashioned, unromantic faithfulness, just plain faithfulness. I thank God for my old-fashioned daddy a hundred miles down the road here years ago out there in Catawba County starting the fires on cold winter mornings in that little old wood-burning uh, stove at old Corinth Church. No matter what the weather was, I've told you before, but uh, no matter what the preaching was, uh, whether it was uh, 
a very fine preaching or just ordinary preaching. Whether it was cold or hot, whether the weather be cold or whether the weather be not, whatever the weather, he weathered the weather whether he liked it or not. There he was. And uh, he was the right-hand man of every pastor that came to that church. The preacher always stayed at our house. I only had a service once a month. Only one sermon a month. Most of them long enough to last a month. But only <laughs> one sermon a month. And Father would let me sit before the fire of a winter time while he and the preacher talk long and late about the things of God. Father never got enough of hearing about the things of God. It was more than his necessary meat. Every one of those preachers, I tell you, he paid for his bed and board at our house <laughs> before Father pumped him for all the information he could possibly get. And don't think that I didn't soak it up there as a youngster, beat all the television on the face of this earth. And it created, it deposited in my soul a sediment of conviction that has not departed to this day. And uh, I remember that he loved Spurgeon. And he got hold of one of Spurgeon's sermons on the text, Who hath called us unto his eternal glory. What a text. And Father loved it so much that he copied it out longhand. I don't know why he had it in the book. But he wanted to soak it up a little better and get it into his system. Wrote it out. Because he loved that sermon so much. He didn't have much to inspire him around there. He never heard great preaching, had no radio, had none of the advantages uh, of this day. But his word was as good as his bond. When he said something, you could count on it. When he went over to Newton, North Carolina, to the bank, why, his word was his bond. His name was all he needed. Just plain, old-fashioned, dependable. I wouldn't swap one like him for all the big shots who put on a show with everything the showcase and nothing in the shelves. I wouldn't swap him for the whole business. You know, a lot of these big shots turn out to be buckshot after you get to know them a little better. Anyway, and then there was my mother, bless her heart, just a plain, simple soul that would have been scared to death to speak in a church. Father did the talking, the public talking, but mother had it in her heart. They both had it in their heart, but I have found myself saying many a time with the poet, I've spent a lifetime seeking things I've spurned when I've found them. I have fought and been rewarded in many a petty cause, but I'd give it all had I fame, fortune, or the pleasures that go with them for a little of the faith that made my mother what she was. And when uh, I was at Maranatha Bible Conference when we got word saying she was quite ill and she passed away before I got home, but I treasure the fact that the last word she sent to me, she stood beside my crippled brother there in the old house, still by the side of the road. On her crutch, she said, tell Vance to keep up the good fight, for God is with him. And if God be for us, who can be against us? That's a mighty good last word to get from anybody, and especially from mother. One old mother like that's worth 10,000 women's libbers. All over the house. She didn't think cooking and ironing and baking and raising children was bondage. It was never bondage because it was a labor of love in the name of God. And that's what it meant to her. I've got an old brother, 87, now crippled, can't even get out of the house. I keep the old place, but I learned something the other day 
If when a good example is set, as our dad did a long time ago, uh, you reap the harvest. He wasted the first half of his life, nothing bad, just he didn't serve the Lord. And then all of a sudden he woke up, and although he's crippled, he managed to hold his Bible in such a fashion that he could teach the men's class at the little church. They gave him a new Bible, and he would hold that pencil and make notes in it, had it lying always on top of the counter, not hid under it. Everybody knew which side he was on. And I called there one night, and I said to his daughter, I said, uh, I called uh, a little late. I thought maybe Irvin had uh, gone to bed. Oh, no, she said, he's the last one. And said, I peeped in the other night, and uh, he was on his knees. And how he got on his knees, I don't know. I know God didn't expect him to have to get on his knees. Had his Bible and had his prayer list. And you know, sometimes when I get a little lower and a little weak, and I have friends who have come to me in their journey, as the Bible says, and I have nothing to set before them, I have a feeling that he must have got a little wind of it somehow on the hotline to heaven. He must say maybe Vance needs a little extra bread to set before those who come before him. And he has a little talk with the Lord. I am quite sure that that, that has a lot to do with it. It pays, beloved, it pays just to be faithful. Samson wasn't very faithful. One day he'd be carrying off the gates of Gaza, next day he'd be in the lap of Delilah. <laughs> Couldn't tell where that old boy was going to show up next. <laughs> but God's word says, be steadfast, grounded, settled, build on the rock, not carried about with every wind of doctrine, ever learning, not able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't be weary in well-doing, faithful over a few things, faithful in that which is least, willing to do your best before a slim crowd. There are some preachers today who think they're, uh, that they're not taking little crowds because uh, they're eagles on hummingbird nests if they do that. They want to take something that is suitable to what they are. And I try to tell them that anybody who is too big for a little crowd is too little for a big crowd. And we must be faithful wherever we are. And the Lord will try you out on that sometimes. Dr. George Truitt gave a wonderful definition of success, just as homey as can be. Success is recognizing the will of God and doing it the best you can. Now that sounds, my, my, that's not hilarious, but that's the truth. And he was a good example of it. The Lord will try you out if you are faithful. I well remember down at Hickory, North Carolina, back in 1913, going over to the First Baptist Church, a lad of 12, to make a talk on Wednesday night. I wasn't used to talking in town. We hardly ever got to town. It was 12 miles to town those days, and that was a long way back in those days. And we, borrowed, we had a neighbor to take us in his Ford, an old Ford, one of these old things, 30 horsepower and 20 of them dead. And we went through all that dust and dirt getting over to that place. And uh, I looked down the aisle of First Baptist Church, looked like a mile. I never had been in a town church. And they called me down to make a talk. And Father sat back there. He hardly felt at home there either. He said, he, but he stayed back there to pray. And I went down there and they put me in the chair. And the state superintendent stood on one side and the pastor of the church on the other. And I did the best I could. And I've been trying to do that for 64 years since. And that's all God ever asked. Just faithful. 
throat everywhere. He'll put you on the spot sometime. I remember going to Moody Institute when Dr. Will Houghton used to have a, a Labor Day weekend youth rallies. My, what a crowd of young people. And I was foolish enough to get up the wrong sermon. I really did. I had one on Baruch. That is, I thought I had the wrong sermon. And those kids never heard about Baruch over there in Jeremiah. I almost wished I hadn't by the time I got halfway through that sermon. I said, Lord, if you'll excuse me, and Baruch, if you'll let me off, I'll never preach about you again as long as I live. But a year later, a young lady came up to me and said, do you remember preaching in Chicago and Baruch? And I dropped my head and said, yes, ma'am. And she said, that was the turning point in my life. And I said, Lord, if you can use that one, I'll never get out of heart anymore. Just faithful. In the First Baptist Church of Greensboro some years ago, and Howard Butt was holding a meeting there, and Carl Steele was up in the baptistry drawing pictures, and we were having a wonderful time, but Howard had to go back to Dallas, and, and, uh, or wherever he lives out there, or did, and uh, they called on me to take the last service. And that's pretty hard, you know, the very last thing. And uh, that would be the night that Miss America was to be there, now, if you could have seen me in Miss America in that pulpit, then I, you ain't seen nothing yet. Talk about beauty and the beast. And I sat there and said, Lord, what am I going to do? This crowd's come here to see this gal. Nobody cares about what I'm going to say. But I got up and preached best I could. I said, that's all I can do on the Lordship of Christ. And the young daughter of the pastor and others came forward. And many decisions were made, and Miss America came up to me afterwards and said that threw a lot of light on some things. And I said, well, did all I could do. Did the best I could. God will try you out see whether you mean business. It'll be pretty rough when you get down from Ben Lippin down there in Sodom and Gomorrah tomorrow. Uh, but that'll be the test. Faithfulness, faithfulness to the house of God. Somebody said one reason why so many preachers wear glasses, they wore their eyesight out uh, looking for church members on prayer meeting night. <laughs> the Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I know people that will send money a couple thousand miles away to a radio preacher that won't give anything to a local church right where they live. I'm for the radio preacher, but I'm for the local church too. And I've always, I don't stand outside and lambaste the local church. I get on the inside and exhort the local church because that's what the Lord left here. And then faithfulness to the man of God. It's not right to criticize the preacher. My father criticized one minister one time, one of our pastors, and then he said later, I will never again say anything against the Lord's anointed. He got miserable about it. And I had a preacher friend the other day, and you were going to hear from that lad, and he's young yet. At table, he said something unkind about another preacher. And God convicted him. They got a letter from him. And there were several of us preachers. I'm sure he sent a letter to everyone of them. He said, I want to apologize for what I said at the table the other day about Brother So-and-so. And I'm sure he apologized to him, too. I said, well, I don't get many letters like that. And you don't either get many apologies. A lot of folks are due to make some. And I read in Hebrews 13, Wherefore Jesus also, 
that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. That's our uh, sacrifice of person, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Second sacrifice, praise. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And then the sacrifice of possessions, verse 16, to do good and to communicate. That's when you give your money. doesn't mean talk on the telephone. When you give money to the Lord, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. And then next, with regard to your preacher, obey them. And this doesn't mean the government that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves. Mm. That sort of goes against the grain with some people's practice. For they, the preacher, watches for your souls, they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. As long as he's preaching the word of God and living right, be careful. Faithfulness to the man of God, but above all, faithfulness to the Son of God, because church loyalty and Christ's loyalty are based in love for him. Lovest thou me. You see, a Christian experience is fourfold. Faith in Christ, fellowship with Christ, faithfulness to Christ, and fruitfulness for Christ. And if there's something wrong with your fruitfulness, there's something wrong with your faithfulness. And if there's something wrong with your faithfulness, there's something wrong with your fellowship. And if there's something wrong with your fellowship, better check on your faith and be sure that you really have it. You're a steward. And all that's required is that you be faithful. Just that. I read of a man who visited the school and he said to the children, I'm coming back later and I'll give a reward to the one with the cleanest desk. One little girl said, I'm going to clean up my desk tomorrow. And the other said, but he might come back uh, today. And then she said, he might come back this morning. And finally she said, the best thing to do is keep the desk clean all the time. That's a pretty good rule for a Christian because God has appointed a day and he has ordained a judge and he has commanded repentance, we read. Now is the appointed time and the accepted time. God lives in the everlasting now and we must give account of ourselves. You're a steward and you have a charge to keep. Here we are tonight, poor, fragile human beings operating in a wonderful device that God has created, the human body. People who know more about the makeup of the human body than laymen do marvel again and again at this wonderful thing that God created. But did you ever stop to think that you're the tenant in the tenement? Uh, your eyes don't see. You see with your eyes. Your ears can't hear. You hear with your ears. Your tongue can't talk. What would the tongue talk about? You talk with your tongue. You are the tenant. You operate all this paraphernalia. One of these days, you're going to put the little machine away, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. What happens to the tenant? Where does he go? Where does she go? You see, there's more to come. We ought to thank God for these bodies and take very good care of them because we're the tenant in the tenement. God's going to give us a new tenement one of these times. Thank God, a new body and the resurrection. But this is what we have now. And 
The Bible says life's evening sun. A few more days and I must go to meet the deeds that I have done, for there will be no setting sun. That's not high-class music, but I used to hear it in the little singing schools of the old country church never forgot it. And it does convey a terrific truth. And beloved, let me say to you tonight, it's a serious responsibility to be in the house of God and the worship of God. We Americans are so used to it. You can turn on preaching anytime you want to nearly. Go when you please and where you please. God help us. We take it for granted. You are responsible for what you do about what you've heard this week at Ben Lippin. You can't take this thing as lightly as some of us do because the Bible says if we hear it and don't do it, James says we deceive ourselves. It isn't as though it doesn't matter. I'll go and see whether I like the preacher or not, and I don't have to do anything about it. Yes, you do. And if you don't obey it, you go out self-deceived and have added one more weight to your load of guilt. You can't go out of this place tonight like you came in because you've heard the Word of God and you have a great privilege, but it's also responsibility. And you can't just take notes and enjoy and say, I had a good time at Ben Lippin and think that's it. No, God said, well, what are you going to do? If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. We're afflicted with spectatoritis all over America at the stadiums in front of television and at church. And we merely look on and it's a serious thing. It's carmel when old Elijah stood there and said, make up your mind, Jehovah or Baal. That Fifth Amendment crowd answered him not a word. Spectators. We're going to wait and see what happens. And the other place was Calvary, Carmel and Calvary. And there hung my Savior. And sitting down, they watched him there. Imagine sitting down and just watching the Son of God die. Watch well, bad enough when the women in France went to the guillotines and did their knitting watch, watching heads being chopped off. And you wonder how can people be any coarser than that but, and sitting down and watching them. And I wonder sometimes if we don't do something very much like that in meetings. And I'm glad that some of you testified tonight that you did something about it this week. Something meaningful. Something that you could uh, tell about and do something about as you went on when the step becomes a walk. Jesus called for public confession. He didn't, uh, he didn't put up with his sneaky kind of business. When that poor woman in Mark 5 who had no money and no health and she was healed, he didn't let her off. She came fearing and trembling and told all things that had happened. Now, she wasn't much to look at that day, I'm sure. Mad on a shabby dress, no doubt. And the folks must have said, Oh dear, what is she up to? But the Savior knew. And he made her testify. He always called for out and out, total lock, stock, and barrel, dedication, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead putting your hand to the plow and looking back. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. You're not going to ask him why this and why that if you really love him. Some time ago, Grandpa, who was in the habit of taking his grandson on little trips with him, said one morning, want to go along? And the youngster said, where are you going, Grandpa? 
John and Paul went on without him. And when he got back, the boy said, why didn't you take me? Grandpa said, because you asked where you're going. He said, if you had really wanted to be with me, it wouldn't have mattered where I was going. I wish we could learn that about Jesus Christ. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere he leads me. Ask Joy Ritterhoff and some other of these blessed missionaries here tonight. They tell you about that. You don't ask him, Lord, how's this going to work out and so on. Where are you going? This business of making Jesus Christ Lord of all, friends, I'm not going around over the country preaching a cafeteria salvation and a, a smorgasbord salvation and a, a sort of a cafeteria Christianity where you go along and take what you want and leave the rest. I'll take the Savior, but I won't take the Lord. Salvation's free, so I'll take that. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to heaven. I'll take that. But serve him out and I don't know. I won't do that. You can't get to heaven on a half a case of religion. Now, if you take Jesus for all you to know him, all you know him to be at that time, God will save you. You don't have to be a theologian. But you cannot take Jesus what you like about Jesus, as much as you think you can do something about, and refuse the rest. I don't believe that you can be a Christian and take the part that's free and uh, the other side of the coin that costs everything you have, say no to that. My New Testament doesn't teach that. And sometimes these decisions are terrific. They're awfully hard to make. Oh, my dear friend, uh, brother over here, he's been through something in the last few days. Testing. I remember back in 38, while I was still pastor at Charleston, I, that summer I made a trip through Iowa, preaching every night at a different place, and I was sick. I don't know what the doctors would call it now, but... I called it uh, utter nervous exhaustion. My batteries were down and I couldn't sleep and I had depression, depression. And yet God began opening the doors of what, of this, this ministry that I'm in now. And it just didn't make sense. I said, but Lord, I can't sleep anywhere. And I sleep uh, every week in a different place while I, who could do that anyhow? No doctor would ever have told me to do it. And yet there were the doors open. And finally I said, well, it must be like the electric eye door. It's not going to really open until I walk in make a decision. And I said, here I go, Lord. If I'm wrong, stop me. And 1940 came, and my first date was at Grand Rapids, Michigan. I got to Chicago and came down sick, and they put me in the hospital. The devil sat on the foot of the bed and said, now what are you going to do? gave up your church you can't do this and I'd been invited to Florida Bible Institute and I turned it down and I sent a message to him said I'll come and I went down there and met two people who meant a lot to me a long tall two-headed North Carolinian came in one day and said I'm Billy Graham from Charlotte student and the other was a lovely lady a lovely young lady who took mercy on this poor preacher and fixed soup that he could eat and would bring it to my door and tap gently and then scoot away before I ever got the door open. She knew the way to a man's heart and uh, it worked. And uh, the thing about it though that I marvel at to this day, she was willing and she hadn't been too well 
to risk everything on a half-sick preacher with only a little money and not knowing whether he could do this at all or not. And we were scared to death of it, both of us. I found the other day when the old home was sold up in the attic, they found for me a batch of letters I'd written in 40 just before we were married. And uh, you'd have thought we were getting ready for a funeral instead of a wedding. We mortally dreaded it and didn't know whether we could do it or not and are we able to do it and all the rest of it. But finally we decided we'd better give God the benefit of the doubt. And we said yes to God. And she never flinched for 33 years. And we kept moving forward. And I was bothered about three things. I was bothered about getting married and about my health and about my work. And I've had pretty good health these years. And I know I'm doing what God called me to do. And I had the most wonderful wife anybody ever had for 33 years. And sometimes when things get a little heavy, I pull out a little thing I carry sometimes. And it says, I'm grateful to you and for your ministry. You've been faithful as a husband, faithful in your Christian living, and faithful in your preaching. And when I get that old lump in my throat, and the going gets hard, I say, well, she said that uh, for 33 years. And then I say, Lord, I just got one thing better than that that I want to hear. I want to hear one of these days from higher quarters still. And from you. Well done. Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I can make you ruler over many things. And you are in line for that kind of promotion too, dear friend. Every one of you. Oh, just to be faithful. That's all he asks. Faithful to the faith, faithful to the fight. Faithful to the finish. It can't be long to the finish, and I'm reminded that when I was a little boy out in the country, my father always had one rule, you must be home by sundown. Uh, some years ago, I held a meeting in Norbert, Pennsylvania, for a Presbyterian pastor in the First Presbyterian Church, Brian Kirkland. He is now pastor of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian in New York. He wrote a book that has a challenging title. It intrigues me, his title, Home Before Dark. It's about the life to come, Home Before Dark. And I have had an ambition since then. I found myself saying again and again, Lord, I want to get home before dark. O. Henry lived in Greensboro, and the last words he said on earth was, I don't want to go home in the dark. But I mean it a little different, I think, from that. I find myself saying, Lord, if, if it's all right with you, I'd like to make it before my faculties play out. Because, oh, not long ago down in Birmingham, I visited a dear preacher friend, once pastor of Tremont Temple. And the pastor and I went to see him, and I'm sure my face must, must have registered the shock when I did see him, although I tried to conceal it. Such a rugged man he had been. I never thought I'd ever see him looking like this. They'd take him to church and he'd cry like a baby. And I've said, Lord, like Dr. Culbertson at Moody said just about the same thing. 
Lord, don't let me live to be a workless worker in a working world. Help me to be able to keep busy to the very last. God took him up on that. And it wasn't long after I saw Dr. Gears that he went on to be with the Lord. Well, we have to leave that with the Lord. We go under all sorts of circumstances, and God knows about that, and I don't. But we can't help. Uh, we'd all like to go like Dr. Bell did, just go to bed and on earth and wake up in heaven. I think that'd be a marvelous way to do it. God doesn't always do it that way. But I, it's been my prayer, Lord, I want to get home before that kind of dark. And then, Lord, I want to get home before another kind of dark. Let me get home before I make some big blunder the last mile of the way. Because you're never, you're saved. If you're saved, you're saved. But you're not safe from making some blunder that'll spoil your witness and your testimony to the very last day of your life. And if you make such a blunder, they'll remember that and forget every blessed thing you did back up the road. Because that's human nature. They'll remember that. And I said, Lord, now... Uh, don't let me be a fool and try to coast through here at the last just because I'm so old. Because, and I say to you older people tonight, nobody ever preaches much to us, and I say to you tonight, dear soul, let us pray, dear older friends tonight, that God shall help us that the last chapter will be the best one. There's no reason why it shouldn't be. I'm having the best time I ever had in the ministry right now, and I've had my three score and ten and a bonus <laughs> beside. And... Uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't be, but look out, the devil hates that kind of testimony. He'll do anything in this world to knock you out uh, one year, one week before your going time. We don't have to be nervous about it. Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, bring it to pass, but walk circumspectly just the same. And then, I want to get home before dark because it's turning dark all over this world. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. I want to get home. My old daddy that I've mentioned, when I started out as a boy to preach, he went with me at first, and then when I was old enough to go by myself, when I'd come back on the train, he'd always meet me at the little railroad station. I can see him yet standing there beside that little old second-hand Ford Roadster wearing an old blue serge suit hadn't been pressed since the day he bought it. And I'd go up to him and he'd say always this first question, how did you get along? It's been a long time since I've seen him. And one of these days I'm going to round the last curve into Grand Central Station in glory. And I believe I'll see him not in that old blue serge suit, but in the robes of glory. And I wouldn't be a bit surprised if the first thing you say would be, how'd you get along? And i say, fine, Dad. And then I think I'll say, Dad, you remember back yonder on the farm when I had to be home by sundown? Well, bless God, by his grace, I've made it home before dark. I think you ought to do that. I think you do. And let's let our light shine, not be ashamed of it. Now, I like the way a while ago some of you got up and spoke of something that happened to you. The best way to give that testimony when you have time for a lot of people, and not to have a mass response, I don't care for that, everybody get up and say the same thing, but I'd like to ask you this. 
There is one phrase, there is one statement in the Bible that wraps it all up, whether, it, whether you were saved, whether you dedicated your life, rededicated your life, volunteered for Christian service, or anything else. Every bit of it can be wrapped up in one statement. I confess Jesus as my Lord. That's it. You name it. There isn't a thing that you can do but what's wrapped up in that. Now, if you can say that tonight, from your heart, I confess Jesus not as Lord. He is Lord, whether you ever confess Him or not. He is Lord of Lord. My Lord. That's it. And very briefly, I'd like to know some of the rest of you that this week made a definite turnabout. If, if, you, if you really had an experience with the Lord, God expects you to say so before man. Whoso shall confess me before man publicly. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, it must be visible, it must be audible, and believe with the heart, it must be credible. God expects you to do it. You're not dealing with fans, Heavener, but I, I, you ought to do it. And if you did business with Jesus this week, it all came around to making him Lord. Now I wonder if some of you just this week, now all you Christians, of course, we'd be here for a long time, and I'm not calling for a testimony meeting. This is not a testimony meeting. But I'd like to know how many of you who this past week had an encounter with the Lord, and it amounted to this, whatever you called it. Are there some more of you that would like to give, get up? Or if you want to say it anyhow, as of tonight. How many on this side, one at a time? If you mean it from your heart. Not just to make it look like a good meeting, but if you mean it from your heart, could stand one at a time and just say one thing. I confess Jesus as my Lord. That's it.